Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. So the, the few thoughts I want to speak on tonight, I've titled um, Revolution Calling. Um, and the, there's lots of different definitions of a revolution, but I just want to read out a couple of them that I found were um, relevant to what I want to talk about. So a revolution is a sudden and dramatic change in a governing system, usually involving the masses, as in the people who are governed, and often involving violence and a revolutionary leader. It's also a fundamental change in the way of thinking about something or doing something. So I want to touch on these two aspects tonight, but from a spiritual perspective, obviously. We're not into overthrowing governments and revolution here. I <laughs> just want to put that disclaimer before we start. There is no civil disobedience being recommended. This is a spiritual topic. But I want to take us from... A, a, a little journey from the Gospels into the Acts and onto the Epistles. I want to trace the, the evolution of, a, of the most amazing revolution that has happened. And its continuation then into our day, right here and now for us. And what it means for us here now, tonight, in practical terms. So that's the topic tonight. And I want to just as usual, just break it up for ease of thought into three different um, thoughts. Uh, we'll look first in the Gospels at the stirrings of revolution, and then we'll look into the acts briefly at the shockwaves of revolution, and we'll finish up then with the calling of the revolution. That's our three, three headings tonight. So maybe you could turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 11. We'll start in, in the Gospels and just address this topic. Matthew chapter 11. And we'll just pray. Andy has already prayed, but just pray. Lord, we just want to ask you for your help tonight, Holy Spirit, for your anointing, for your quickening, Lord, for that ease of thought and speech, and for ears to hear what you want us to hear. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 11, please. And we're just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, the context here is that John the Baptist is in prison. He is it appears he's, he's in, a, in a disillusioned state. Uh, he's sending a message to Jesus saying, are you really the one that was to come? Are you really him? He could have asked it another way. He said, where's, where's the revolution? Where's the overthrow? Every leader that had come right through the Old Testament was there to restore spiritual values to Israel and to get rid of the oppressor, to get rid of the Philistines, the Canaanites, whoever they were, and establish again the kingdom. And of course, this is the perception that was there regarding the Messiah, that this is what he would do. And of course, John is here, all he's seeing is a teacher and a, a, a preacher and a miracle worker. So he's like, are you really it? Are you really the one to come? We have the benefit of hindsight now, but this was genuinely the the mold of all the leaders through the Old Testament. 
And Jesus sends a message back. We're not going to focus on that, but we're going to focus on what he then says to the people about John. And if we look at verse uh, 9, he says, What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Speaking of John the Baptist. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it's written, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's underline that. Come back to that later. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. So here's the revolution. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And I just want to read out another couple of verses. We won't turn to them. But just in the similar vein in Matthew 21, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he's rebuking them. And he says to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors... And the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors, who were collaborators with the oppressor, the Romans, and the prostitutes believed him. And also in Luke 16, again speaking to the Pharisees, and again on a similar theme, uh, it's probably, I think it's probably a similar statement to what he's saying here. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. So Jesus is presenting this picture here to the astonishment of the listeners and to the Pharisees and to John and everyone listening that the, the attack... <laughs> The, the revolution, the uprising, and the, the violence is not coming against the oppressor, the Roman government. He says, it's the kingdom of heaven. He paints a picture for them of basically the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all these unsavory sinners pushing their way in, pressing into it, suffering violence, he said. And we have to understand that the backdrop here is a whole couple of millennia of the law creating such barriers around the holiness of God for a very good reason until Jesus came. But the barriers were so high and so severe that the people had to be clean in every aspect of their living they couldn't eat the wrong food. They couldn't. They had to purify themselves. And there was, in fact, jeopardy associated with not being careful enough. Back in the wilderness, there's a striking cry from the people after they've had several incidents of the fire of God and the rebellion of Korah and priests coming with strange fire and all these different things. And the people cry out to Moses and they say, we'll die we're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the tabernacle will die. Are we all going to die? This was the cry they had of just the impossible holiness of God that they kept 
banging up against. And they had to just draw back, draw back. And only the designated two or three, the high priest once a year, the priests who were in there, only they could come near. This was the barrier. And on top of this, the previous 400 years or so, the Pharisees had been adding to that. They've been adding law upon law, scruple upon scruple. They've been creating more and more and more barriers. In fact, Jesus said to them, you've created so many barriers, you're locking everyone out. And now, all of a sudden, this person, this rabbi appears, sent from God, he's claiming, and he's effectively, it would seem, overthrowing the whole thing. The whole system that God has constructed. It's no wonder it blew their minds and there, there was such controversy. He's sitting down having dinner with the worst. He's like a whirlwind tearing through the whole system of religion. All the hypocrisy and self-interest. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's overturning the tables of money changers in the temple. He's exposing their manipulation of the law. He's not stoning a woman caught in adultery, which the law prescribed. As I say, he's associating with tax collectors for the Roman government, prostitutes, gangsters, lowlifes. Everything he's doing, it seems, flies in the face of the whole system. And it seems like he's, he's ripping the thing down. And not only that, but he's presenting a picture to these Pharisees of the rabble are breaking through the gates and you're outside. The hordes are at the gates. You can almost see the panic that they're feeling. They wanted, they wanted a revolutionary. They wanted one who would overthrow the Roman governor. And Jesus comes and says, pay your taxes to Caesar. And instead, he's focusing on overthrowing the whole construction of religion. And even the things that would say, well, God established them. What is this? What's going on? But of course, they, they, they hadn't seen the half of it. They didn't realize this was only the stirrings. This was only the beginning of the most extraordinary, extraordinary overturning that was about to come. And in fact, they thought that they'd silenced him and brought to an end this revolutionary leader. But they didn't realize, of course, that their plan to silence him, to kill him off, to put an end to him, that was the very preordained plan of God to bring about, as we were just remembering, that the atonement for our sin. Hallelujah. This was the whole, it was all leading towards this amazing, amazing turnabout. When all of, all that the law was designed to highlight and to protect against was put on him. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And a great shockwave was released through the spiritual realms that day that's still echoing. And as we move into the Acts then, we see that this, this revolution now begins to make its way out beyond Jerusalem. Things are bad enough with all that's happened with Jesus. 
Yet now, Peter ventures to visit a Roman centurion. The absolute no-no, even for the Jewish believers and Christians at that point in time, it was still a no-no, you don't go and eat with a Gentile. And he visits him and something happens and the, the Christians, the Jewish believers at that point, they, they have an argument with Peter. saying, what are you doing visiting this guy? How could you have done this? And Peter speaks to them in, in Acts 11 and he says, well, I went there and the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If not, then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance to life. Hallelujah. What a wonderful aftershock came out that day across the world when the first Gentile believer in Christ entered the kingdom. And I, want, I was just thinking, think of that day. Think of that day this happened. Think of your ancestor. I was just trying to do some numbers on it. It's probably about 60 generations from any one of us, on average, give or take. And if you think of your father or your mother and their father or mother, and you just go back 60 people, just trace your own line back to that day. And I was calculating, it's, if, you just, if somehow or other we could have a photo call with, with all my ancestors or all your ancestors here, just a, just a father or mother, and they filled the they fill six rows here at the front. Not that many people. And just behind Deepak and Rena there would be my great, 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 great grandfather. Who was that person? What was his life and his world and his outlook? We can only speculate, but I, for me, I guess possibly some Celtic tribes person, probably painted blue, as they put on themselves, probably a worshipper of the sun or some mix of deities, probably a killer. But I know one thing, that he was living in a society and in a world that was apart from the living God, in absolute darkness. Now, perhaps God reached people in his own way then, but in general terms, society was in the dark. But something happened that day he, my ancestor, your ancestor, was oblivious to it, no doubt. But the powers of darkness that held those societies, whether it was the Aztecs or the Incas or the Celts or the, the Romans or the Goths or the Visigoths or the Borneon tribes or whatever, the, whatever your people group was at that time, the power of darkness that held them shuddered that day in anticipation of something that was going to break across this globe so wonderful when the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out to all the Gentile nations of the world. And folks, it has reached us. It has reached us. The grace of God has reached us. Hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah. The barriers that were erected by God himself just temporarily in the period of the law were torn down. Jesus tore them down. He took away all the obstacles. And to the furthest off pagan lost peoples, the glorious good news has come. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Paul says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Oh, brothers and sisters, he broke down the wall. He broke down the wall. Jesus came, he tore down the barricades. He turned the world upside down in that generation and released that mighty power of the gospel. It could now reach everyone because of Calvary. And like he said to the people there with John, our position now is alongside shoulder to shoulder with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the gangsters and the lowlifes. We press in. Folks, we press into the kingdom. Don't stand on the outside. Even as a Christian, thinking that you're not good enough for all the blessings of God. We press in. It's taken. The kingdom of God is taken by force. What a wonderful Wonderful revolution happened at that time. And now here we are today. The beneficiaries, we're here in this room tonight from so many different backgrounds and ancestries, but yet we're all beneficiaries of this amazing, amazing grace. But you know what? There's still a need, I believe, a need at times for a revolution in our thinking. And this as we come to the calling. And we go back to what Jesus said to the people there regarding John the Baptist. It's an astonishing statement. He says, the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest of the prophets. John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets. The least in the kingdom is greater. And the wonderful reality here is that in this New Testament era, because of that free grace of God, because we have the Holy Spirit, each one, now that which was only, only given to a few in the Old Testament, there was a few called, David, Samuel, Isaiah, but now to every child of God comes the call of God. Every child of God. And moving into the epistles then, Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he asks them, he says, consider your calling, brothers. And this is what I want to underline for this last piece of this message tonight. Consider your calling. 
Not many of you, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul turns to these believers and he says, brothers and sisters in Corinth, consider your calling, not mine, not me the apostle, not Peter, not the, not the select few like there was in the Old Testament. Consider your calling. You ordinary folk of Corinth, Gentiles, outsiders, formerly unholy, unclean pagans, idol worshippers. In fact, he says later on in the book, this is what they were. He says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you now you're washed. This is who they were. This is not some elite group of super Christians. We're no longer in the domain of a few select prophets or great leaders. This is the amazing revolution that has taken place. Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost when he cries out to the people there. And he says, this is what's happening, people. In the last days, as Joel said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. On my servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. There's no longer any differentiation. There's no special people. There's, it's no male or female. There's no lower class or upper class. There's no slave or free, old or young. To all, the Holy Spirit is given. And consider tonight your calling in the light of this. And let's not fall into old covenant thinking. There's the Christian elite, and then there's me. This was the great reversal that happened in the Middle Ages when the, if you like, there was a crackdown on this wonderful revolution, when the so-called church began to lock up the gates again, started to reintroduce rules, Ceremonies that put a distance between us and God. Ripped the word of God out of the hands of ordinary people. And created a new elite. The priests and the bishops. Only they could hear from God. Only they could approach him. We thank God. Thank God he dealt with that. Thank God for the Reformation. But we still have to travel a journey. That old covenant thinking can still persist like a virus. I know myself, I've been in, in times and situations, you know, going to Christian conferences in the past. It's not maybe so much of a thing now, but where there would have been a call for people, Christians, to come and commit their life to go to Bible college. And there would have been a general unspoken atmosphere 
that these were the elite and that everyone else really did not have a particular role. I'm not saying that's everywhere, but I, I remember being in situations where that was the, as Christians, this was the environment. That you were a special Christian or you were just an ordinary Joe Soap. And you know, this can persist. We can have celebrity pastors, celebrity leaders, and then just the, the pew dwellers. This is old covenant thinking. Everyone is pressing into the kingdom. Folks were side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Yes, there are different callings and roles and functions, but don't fall into this idea of a Christian elite and me. No, your calling, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, Jesus, they're, they're now forcing their way into the kingdom and you Pharisees get out of the way. We are in a new day. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, folks. There is no Christian elite. Consider your calling, Paul says, that it's to each one. And he says, consider your calling and know that it's unique and to each one is given. To each one. And there's a calling that's tailor-made for each one here. You, me, each one in this place. It's tailor-made for you. And it's for you. And it's only for you. And it serves a vital function in the kingdom of God. I was thinking about this. And I was thinking when a couple of weeks ago when Van Ramos was up here speaking. How she waited on God for that particular groove to, to slot into and how she, it became for her something to give herself to. And you know, it's a service that's behind the scenes. It's something that we don't see that much. But I was, you know, I thought about it. It's like in the wilderness where they had the trumpeters. And to carry that message to the outermost parts of the camp, to carry the right message, they had to amplify it with the trumpeters whether it was a signal for war or a signal for gathering. And you know, every piece of the jigsaw in God's body serves a vital purpose in the call of God. And there is a calling. Consider your calling, not the person next to you, not Andy, not Danny, not Jess, not me. Consider your calling, folks. There's a unique calling for you. Don't just be a seat dweller. Because if you are, you're not, for, you're not pressing into the kingdom. You're not forcing your way in alongside those tax collectors and prostitutes. You're not, you're not entering into the revolution in all its fullness. Yes, you're saved. You belong to the Lord. But he wants us to go all the way in and take that calling that he's given to us. Consider your calling and understand to whom it is given. Paul outlines this. He says, he's given his calling to the weak, the nothing, the foolish. His calling is given to individuals who are inadequate. 
And I would just say something tonight. Accept your inadequacy. Accept it. Just accept it. That's what the way the Lord has made it. He says, not many of you are wise, but God chose what is foolish, what is weak. God chose what is low, despised. God chose things that are not. This is the, this is the bar, this is the, the caliber that God has. So for you when, you, when you are walking in your calling, it will both fit you perfectly and you will also feel completely inadequate for it. This is the amazing reality. Understand to whom it is given. We are, as I said earlier, we're the rabble. We're just the great unwashed. We're nothing that Jesus may have all the glory. We're not living in a, in a covenant of the elite, of two or three prophets, great leaders. No, we're in this great New Testament where the, the hordes are pressing in. And each one has that calling from God, and it's wonderful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, folks, I could just, I just felt preparing this. Oh, this is so wonderful. If we can embrace it, if we can embrace it and find that such fulfillment in walking in that calling that God has, not what I think he has, but what he actually has. Consider your calling as a call to arms for every believer. Again, this is the purpose. Paul says, God chose these people, the low, the despised, to bring to nothing the things that are. This is a call to arms. Of course, as I said at the start, nothing to do with anything in the world or in the, in the human realm. This is in the spiritual warfare. God is moving among us, I believe, in these days. I think we can all sense it, can't we? God is moving. God is bringing many people in here, many needs. Our youth is exploding. Young adults is flourishing. Portuguese ministry, from what we hear, is just growing so wonderfully. God is moving. But with that move of God, it means there's more and more and more opportunity for needs to be met, for strongholds to be brought down, because that's, that's, the, that's the great revolution we're involved in now. It's bringing down the stronghold of the liar, the enemy, who holds people, men, women, and children in bondage. That's our warfare. That's our battle. final scripture Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 he speaks about though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds what are these strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Strongholds, thoughts, opinions, ideas that hold us captive. 
And you know, you might think, well, this is very lofty sounding stuff. I'm just an ordinary person mixing with other ordinary people. Well, you know what? I don't know about you, and if, if you think about it, I, I, I bet you would, under, you, you would agree with me for yourself. I have been in situations where someone has said something to me, they don't even know it, it could be just an ordinary person, a conversation, it could be a, a message preached, and a stronghold has been broken in me. A stronghold gets broken. Some thought some bondage in my outlook, some condemnation, whatever it might be. These are strongholds, folks, that keep us. It's in our minds. It's our thoughts. It's in our outlook. It's in our own belief. It's in all these things that, that just hold us and trap us, even as God's people. Strongholds. And for each one of us, our calling is to be those who are ready to tear down strongholds. You don't believe God can do this through you. Just go read 1 Corinthians. He takes the nothing. He takes the, more, the lower you are in your own eyes, the more chance he'll use you. And all that's required of us, he speaks it here, being ready to go against every disobedience against Christ when your obedience is complete. If we obey, if we find ourselves obeying that calling that God has for our life, whatever that is, if it's to wash the floor, if it's to preach, if it's to lead a service, if it's to just minister to people, if it's to make the tea, whatever that calling is, and we are faithful to it, and we are walking in obedience to the Lord in that, and walking in that togetherness with his people, in that submission to the order that he has laid down, in that obedience, he says there's a readiness, a readiness, readiness. And that's all he asks of us, to be ready. You know, so often I think, I certainly suffer from lack of readiness. I meet someone and we get chatting about something and, and I'm, I'm not ready to be alert to, that, to the strongholds, perhaps, whether it's an unbeliever or a believer, that God wants me to just speak a word, just speak an encouragement, speak a scripture, but to be led of the Holy Spirit in the bringing down of strongholds. Folks, we need to believe this. We need to believe it. I know it sounds sort of high-powered and, you know, a little bit up there when we just feel we live such ordinary lives, but these are the spiritual realities that we're involved in. We're new creatures. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We belong to Jesus. We're not just to live ordinary existence, or totally ordinary at one level. But at another level, we are those who have Christ dwelling within us. We have the fragrance of Christ. And we have to believe this and understand that in his name and through his Holy Spirit, he's given us the capacity to influence and impact those around us and even cause those mighty strongholds to come down in their lives. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful. This is a, a, a change in thinking. A change in thinking.
that God has done this amazing work. Let's not drift back into some old covenant understanding. It's me and it's the elite. It's just little old me. No, no. Consider your calling. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.